everybody, and a special welcome if you're joining us for the first time. Today begins our epic journey towards Christmas. Who's excited? <laughs> a few of you are like overwhelmed by shopping, too much Christmas music, not sure how to answer that. But anyway, I love Christmas, and it's been that way for my whole life, and I attribute my love of Christmas and Christmas time and all things Christmassy to my mom, who is amazing. She's here with us this morning. She actually made these angels. What do you think? Pretty good? Yeah, I'm thinking. And uh, just full disclosure, my mom is practically like the Joanna Gaines of Christmas time. I don't know if you're familiar with Joanna Gaines, HGTV, fixer upper, master of decorating. And, and you just need to know, my mom was doing shiplap when Joanna Gaines was in elementary school, okay? <laughs> So she's got nothing on us. But we were, we were so hardcore about Christmas when I was a kid. We actually had two different Christmas trees in different rooms in our house. We had the Christmas tree for my brother and I, which was your average Christmas tree with lots of family ornaments on it. And then in the living room, like where the dog wasn't allowed to go, you know the living room, right? White carpet. There was a Christmas tree that was her Christmas tree. It was a thing of beauty. It was a thing of perfection. It was a thing that no one else got to help install ornaments on. And it was a thing that had a different theme every year, okay? That's how you know when you might have a little Christmas problem, right? Well, here's the thing. I even remember one year I was probably eight, nine, ten years old, and a national company did a photo shoot at our house at Christmas time, and they used her tree, right? And in case you were wondering, um, there were kid models that were brought in to be a part of the photo shoot. You see where I'm going here, because apparently yours truly was not deemed magazine compliant. I, but it's totally fine. It's not like I'm bringing it up 35 years later for any reason. You know what I'm saying there? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Christmas decorations are great. I think well, my favorite part of Christmas has got to be the Christmas music. It, it, though I've noticed that Christmas music can be a bit divisive in our culture. You, you may not know this. There are actually two different camps with regards to Christmas music in this room right now. We're just going to take a little vote here. Some of you believe Christmas music should not be played except between Black Friday and Christmas Day. If that's you, slip up your hand. There you go. See? See, I knew you were out there. There's a few of you out there, and you're in good company if you're out there. Others of you believe that the first day you see Christmas decorations at Costco, which is like July 4th, right? You're like, it's on. It's on. It, it's going to happen. Christmas is happening, and, and, you know, we just, others of us just stand in judgment of you. That's okay. Um, but whichever team you're on, I would argue that you probably have a favorite Christmas song, right? Because we all kind of have one that we, we turn up a little bit when it comes on 105.7. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Maybe it's like Mariah's Carey's classic, All I Want for Christmas is You. Uh, maybe it's Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. No, it's not that. No one likes that song. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe if you're really spiritual, it's the Christmas Shoes song. Have you heard the Christmas Shoes song? If you can listen to the Christmas Shoes song, it's by New Song. If you can do that without crying, you are heartless and you have no Christmas spirit. There you heard it. Uh, but you can stream that one later today if you need a good cry. Um, finally, uh, you might be the sort of person that just loves the classics, right? That Christmas takes you back and, and regrounds you to your roots. And if that's you, you know, odds are one of your top five is, is silent night. It's, it's what we land with every year here on our Christmas Eve service. We light the candles. Some of you have done that your whole lives. It's, it's an amazing song. It's actually, I did a little research. It was written in the early 1800s by two guys who would be shocked that we're singing their song 200 years later. Now, and, and, and as great a song and as great a memories that we have around Silent Night, I just have to tell you something, and I may burst your bubble, uh, but uh, cr the Christmas story 
the famous narrative we unpack every year at this time, it really isn't about a silent night. In fact, Christmas is about the interruption of over 400 years of silent nights. And Christmas is, is sort of the celebration of the time the silence actually stopped. Let me kind of explain what I mean. Um, as many of you know, the Bible is divided into two sections, right? Two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when you open a Bible, there's just like one thin page that separates the last uh, book of the Old Testament from the first book of the New Testament, right? And so if you're cruising through, you're just kind of like, okay, must the story continues. But what you may not realize, there's actually 400 years that separate the close of the Old Testament narrative from the start of the New Testament narrative. 400 years during which time, from the perspective of the nation of Israel, God goes silent. There's, there's, there's no more messengers, there's no more prophets, there's no more stories that are, that are being told at least directly from God, which, which for me raises a really great question. What in the world was God doing for those 400 years? I mean, did he just get kind of fed up with his people and sort of walked away, took a time out, right? And then over time, did his mood slowly improve and he's finally like, okay, finally, I'll, I'll, send, I'll send Jesus? I mean, why so many silent nights? I think that's a really important question for all of us to consider because if you think about it, we've all had seasons of silent nights. Seasons when life gets hard. Seasons when even if we've never prayed before, we start to pray. Seasons when we start to pray and nothing happens. Every night we're sort of looking up at the ceiling and we have this sense like the words that we're speaking to God sort of bounce off the ceiling. Like, I don't know if there's something wrong with my connection, need to change carriers or what, but it's not getting through those seasons where it seems like everyone else's prayers are getting answered, but not yours. Seasons where it seems like it's literally taking God hundreds of years to answer your prayers. Seasons where you might even begin to wonder if he's there at all or if he's there, if he, if he cares. Well, in my line of work, um, I get to walk with a lot of friends through their seasons of silent nights. And it's an honor uh, to have a front row seat to it, but it, it can be tough. I mean, I, I think of a few friends, one specifically who's been struggling on this journey of, of infertility, and we all have friends that have been touched by that story, but she and her husband have dreamed for seven years that they would one day get to be parents. And they've planned, and they've picked out nursery furniture. And they said, this will be the ideal time to start. And about four years ago, they started trying and pregnancy was slow to come. And then when pregnancy came, it didn't last. And then that storyline repeated a few times. And their prayers grew more desperate and God didn't seem to respond. And so they went to specialists and there were more prayers. And a whole bunch of us joined in, in, in praying for them. And there were more tests and there were, there were few answers and and the infertility just continued. And now as, as 2019 is sort of winding down, and I mean, I... I talked to them this week and just asked their permission to share some of the story. But their question, honestly, as 2019 is winding down, is like, God, why the silence? Why the silence? I think of another friend whose, whose middle schooler has carried health struggles for years. I mean, they've been all over the country visiting specialists who are trying to figure out what exactly is going on. And then, you know, every year the story seems to change a little bit and the struggles seem to change a little bit. But this year, for the first time, the, the struggles went from, you know, internal to external and highly visible. Did I mention she's in middle school? <laughs> she's doing great. But it's fair 
to sense the frustration of her parents who love her desperately and who believe in God and believe in Jesus and, and trust. But, it, but it's like, it just seems like, God, why the radio silence? They're looking forward to next year and they've got more tests and more trips and just trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And just again, a fair question as 2019 winds down for them. God, God, why the silence? Finally, I had coffee recently, if you can imagine that, me having coffee, I know. But uh, I had coffee with a friend um, and he's been praying for a life partner for well over a decade and it just hasn't happened. He's met a few promising candidates and it just hasn't worked out. And I said, how you doing? He's one year kind of winds down. How you feeling? And he said, I'm really starting to wonder if, if God just doesn't care about me. And it was an honest moment, right? But he said, I just, I mean, I guess theologically I know he does, but it just feels like I just, I don't want to spend the rest of my life lonely. And if he knows me and he knows that, then why? Why not, why not the response to the prayer? Why the radio silence. It's no, it's no secret that in seasons of silent nights, um, faith, faith can be hard. Faith can become a challenge. We find ourselves asking, you know, why God? And, 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 and what do we do when God doesn't seem to come through for us? And so with the rest of our time today, now that I've got us all really thoughtful and depressed, with our time, I want to answer two really important questions. And it goes like this. What is God doing in the silence, if anything? And then what should we do in the silence? And what is God doing during those silent nights? And then what should we do when we find ourselves in seasons of silent nights? And what I want to do to get us moving towards some answers, or at least some, some different ways to think about it, is share today big, today's big idea, which I normally do at the end, I know, so we're really you know, messing things up today. But here's a big idea for today. Never confuse God's silence with his absence. Never confuse God's silence with an abs his absence. It is a mistake to do that every single time. It's dangerous to do that. Uh, friends that, that have done this and have sort of tried to, to seize control of their lives, they'll tell you that, man, they ended up doing things that they later regret, that they later wish they hadn't. And in fact, the Bible is full of accounts of people who confuse God's silence with his absence and sort of try to take control and end up making a mess of things. And, and on the other hand, on the hopeful side, the Bible is also you know, full of accounts of people who in times of silence lean into God and chose to trust him even in the silence, even when it didn't make any sense. And eventually, and this is the hopeful part for me, eventually when their silent nights came to an end, they actually found that their faith in God had grown Stronger. And it's hard to believe, but that's the story over and over and over again. In, in fact, this is one of the reasons why I think the Christmas story is so important for you and I. Uh, you know, it, it, the Christmas story really isn't at its core a sentimental story that flies above the pain of this life. Instead, it's, it's a story of real people like you and me who had real struggles and yet remain faithful and hopeful even in times of silence and confusion and frustration. In fact, if you read those, those, those accounts, it doesn't take very long, you start to see that almost every character in the Christmas story faced incredible challenges and had to ask some really tough questions about God. Every single one of them had experienced some silent nights where, where their questions were big and the answers were non-existent. So to show you what I mean, I just want to zoom in on one aspect of the story for today, and then we'll look at some others for the next two times we're together. But I want to start with a central piece of the Christmas story. It's actually in Matthew's account of the life of Jesus. It's the moment when God breaks the silence to a man named Joseph. And Joseph gets some pretty incredible 
and unbelievable information. And Matthew actually records the words of the angel that he spoke to Joseph that day. And Joseph was facing just a, it's a, a bizarre and, and unprecedented life situation. So here's what the angel says. He says, Joseph, son of David, and you know the story, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And just pause for a second and think about this. Like Mary had to have this conversation with Joseph, which had to go great, right? Because Mary had an angelic visitor too who said, hey, listen, I know you haven't you know, done the special dance. Thank you, kids in the room, right? But hey, you're pregnant and it's okay because it's God's baby. And she's like, it's God's baby. Fantastic. Joseph is going to love this, right? And so then there's that moment where she gets to go and talk to Joseph. And Joseph is like, oh, it's God's baby. Right. Okay, fine. That totally explains it. And then he gets this angelic visitor who says, actually, yeah, what Mary told you is true. She had an angel. Now you've had an angel. And now you're on the team. Correct. And Joseph, when you're confronted with an angel, apparently you just agree with whatever the angel says. So here we go. Holy Spirit. He says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. And at this point, you need to know Joseph would have had some radar, uh, some lights on his dashboard start to blink because he's heard about this before. He never imagined he'd be part of the story, but he's heard about it before. He's given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph lived in the north of Israel, and these were the people who had stayed committed to God. Joseph would have grown up at synagogue. He would have grown up reading the Old Testament, loving the Old Testament, knowing the Old Testament. And he knew that, that there was a day that God had promised to do something new, make a new arrangement, a new covenant, new testament with his people in which he would somehow pay for their sins save his people from their sins. And then he goes on and he says, all this took place to fulfill, Matthew gives us a little background here, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. That's the prophet Isaiah. That's 700 years earlier. And again, Joseph would have known this, but the prophet Isaiah said this, and actually he said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I was going to show you the original quote from Isaiah, but here's what's so fun. It's exactly the same. I was like, that would have been anticlimactic. But it was like the prophet is quoting from, or the prophet, or uh, Matthew rather, says this angel is quoting a 700-year-old prophecy and saying, it's time, the time has come, it's actually going to come true. So this passage, this conversation actually answers one question but raises another. I mean, if you've ever wondered if God really does keep his promises, the answer, according to this passage and many, many others in the Bible, is yes. God is faithful. He does what he says he's going to do every single time. But this passage also raises another question much more relevant to you and I, and it goes like this. Why did God choose to wait so long? And it may surprise you to learn that history suggests some incredible answers to those questions. So what I want to do for a moment is sort of exit the biblical story and back up and ask the question, so what was happening in the world during the 400 years where God was silent? What was happening? And, and the question is, did what was happening have anything to do with the fact that God was waiting? And I think the answer to that question is yes. The first thing that happened was a significant shift in the identity of the world's strongest nation. When the Old Testament closes, the world's strongest nation was Persia. And so there was a shift from Persia to the Greek Empire. 
And the guy you need to meet to kind of understand this, I'm taking you back to high school, I understand that. Uh, but right around 333 BC, a man named Alexander the Great comes onto the world stage. And just some fun background information, uh, he was the son of the king. He grew up with a lot of privilege. And in fact, another guy you may have heard of, Aristotle, tutored him for nine years. Aristotle was a student of Plato. And, and so he had access to some absolutely revolutionary ideas in his formative years. Alexander uh, goes on to become one of the most influential people in human history. The world had never seen a military leader like Alexander. He took on and demolished the Persian Empire and then went on to conquer much of the known world. In fact, he expanded his kingdom all the way to India and was undefeated in battle. Now, as his influence spread, he had made a decision which ended up changing the course of human history. He decided that any territory he conquered would speak the same language. They, would be by, they, would, they could still speak their regional dialect, but they would all be quite required to learn the language of Greek. Now, Alexander dies at 33 years old, probably of malaria or typhoid fever, and he dies back in Babylon, which was the city that he wanted to make his capital. But he left the world dramatically changed. And here's why that matters to you and me today. The fact that we have heard the Christmas story at all can actually be attributed to the decision Alexander the Great made to have the world speak a common language. Because without a common language, it's unlikely that the news of Jesus would ever have made it much past the nation of Israel. In other words, God's silence during that time between the Old Testament and the New Testament did not confirm his absence. In fact, he was working behind the scenes in human history to set the stage for the birth of his son. An event that wasn't just for the nation of Israel, but was in fact a message to the world. Now, the second event that happened that you should know about was the birth of another world power, this one, the Roman Empire. And beginning around the year 47 BC, Rome began to exert influence on the world's culture. They created and established and maintained a worldwide peace that was unprecedented in human history. It was called the Pax Romana, which just means the peace of Rome. And practically speaking, this meant that people could travel with a greater sense of security. Rome also did something else you should know about. They created 57,000 miles of paved roads, some of which you can still walk on today. And that is just a stunning thought. That was to facilitate troop movements, but it also facilitated commerce. So people and products, and important to our discussion here, ideas, could travel freely and securely for the first time in human history. My point is that if God wanted to send a message through Israel to the world, that would really not have been possible as the Old Testament came to, the close, came to a close. But 400 years later, because of things that were being orchestrated by him behind the scenes, the stage was finally set for heaven to come to earth. And by, by the way, you don't have to take my word for it. There's a pastor by the name of Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, these letters to early Christians. And he says something absolutely stunning in a letter called Galatians. It was written to followers of Jesus living in a Roman province called Galatia, which is today in eastern Turkey. Here's what he said, and this is just fascinating when you think about it. You can blow right over it if you're just reading it, but just think about this. Paul writes, but when the set time had fully come, 
In other words, the 400 years of silence, those weren't random. Those were all part of the plan. It's like, Paul, are you saying that God had this day circled on his calendar? Paul would say, yeah. I mean, he didn't have calendars, but yeah, this is part of the plan. God hadn't left humanity behind. He was working to set the stage for what was to come because what was to come was going to change everything. He continues, he says, but when the set time had fully come, Paul, what happened? He says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And this is a reference to the Old Testament law. He says, to redeem those, to rescue those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, when the day that God had circled on his calendar finally arrived, he sent his son Jesus. And he did something that no one saw coming, but was so revolutionary. He sent Jesus to establish a new covenant or new rules of relationship between God and his people. Like when the predetermined time arrived, God sent a rescuer to free his people from the burden of sin and then through his people to send the same invitation to freedom to the world. Friends, that's, that's what God was doing during all those silent nights. And that's, that's interesting, but, but for me, it also suggests what God might be doing in your silent nights. And, and again, let me just speak to, some of us can think back on a time in our past where we say, yeah, I had a season of silent nights and it, and it was rough and it was long and it was hard. And for us, it's just an interesting thought. Like, I wonder if God was doing something behind the scenes in my life. And then, but then for some of you, this is a reality right here and right now. Like there's something in your life that's collapsing or that's collapsed and you're standing in the rubble of it. And as Christmas approaches, like what you need more than anything else is, is just hope. And if that's you, just, just stay tuned. Because I, I would argue, I would argue that that's what God was doing in their season of silent nights. And it very, very, it very well may be what God is doing in yours as well. Think about this with me, like faith or belief that God can be trusted is at the core of what it means to follow Jesus. It's, 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 it's what it means to be in a relationship with him. And there are seasons of life when, when trusting God is relatively easy. Like life is good and you feel connected to him and everything is sort of up and to the right. But there's also those seasons when God goes silent. And, and times like that are actually opportunities to believe, to choose to believe that God is working behind the scenes, even when you can't imagine how or why. And, and a few of you are like, well, that, how do you even do that? And we'll get there. But, but I can't tell you when your season of silent nights will come to an end. I don't have the details, but I can re remind you of something that is so true. And many, many of us would be able to affirm this reality. And it's this, that God is trustworthy. He has a track record that says he's trustworthy. He doesn't often operate on our timelines and with our preferences, but he can be trusted. And when the time is right, the curtain will rise and you will find yourself perfectly positioned to accomplish whatever purpose that he has for your life. And this is the best place you could ever hope to be. So that's what I'm convinced God is doing during our seasons of silent nights. So that's what God is doing. What about us? What are we supposed to do when God goes silent? I mean, you know, great Bible boy, practical, right? But what, help me here. What, what should I do if this morning... I'm sitting here and God is silent and I'm frustrated. And here's my suggestion. When God is silent, trust his presence. When God is silent, trust that he is still with you. Because as we've said, it's dangerous to confuse God's silence with his absence. 
When things happen that we don't want to have happen, when things don't happen that we want to happen, and when our prayers go unanswered, it's easy to conclude that God is absent and, or simply doesn't care. It's natural for faith to struggle, but the story of Christmas reminds us of an incredibly hopeful reality. It's a mistake to equate God's silence with his absence. Instead, in the silence, trust his presence. And so then the only question that remains is like, okay, how? How do I do that? And I think, I think there is an answer to that question. Uh, years ago, we did a series on a man named Joseph. Eric referenced him during the opener. And the series was called Detours. Here's the logo from back in the day. Um, and some of you are like, oh, was it the 90s? No, it was just not a great logo. It's okay. Um, it was a good series, not a great logo. Anyway, um, but Joseph is one of the heroes of the Old Testament uh, but as Eric mentioned, his life was anything but easy. He repeatedly found himself where he didn't want to be. He repeatedly found himself thrown into seasons of silent nights. And his are only different than ours because his were documented and we can read about them thousands of years later. Nevertheless, Joseph is an inspiration because in these moments, he never stopped believing that God was with him, even when all of the evidence pointed in the other direction. And as part of that series, I shared a very powerful question that has guided me through seasons when God seemed distant. And you're probably thinking, oh, our pastors have the same thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Sometimes my red phone doesn't connect. I don't know what the deal is, but yeah, right? But the question goes like this, and it's been so helpful for me, and hopefully for you it would be too. What would you do if you were confident that God was with you? So you're in this season of silent nights. You're like, I don't know what to do. God's existent. Prayer's going off the ceiling. How would, you, how would you encourage me? And I would say, listen, I would choose to believe that God is with you and ask the question, okay, what would somebody who was convinced that God was with them do in this situation? And just do that. And just do that. And someone would say to me, you know, that, that just doesn't seem, that doesn't seem like a great option. I'm like, oh, isn't it a great option? Because the other option is, okay, God has abandoned you and you're on your own. And then what are you going to do? I had a friend say to me once, well, if you're going to put it that way. I'm like, those are the two options, right? <laughs> so, so that's the essence of faith is, is choosing to lean in one direction and, and, not, and not the other. So that's, that's what you do. Even when it doesn't feel like God is with you, behave as if he was because he is. He's with you and he's for you and he's ahead of you and he's pulling you towards the story that he's written for your life. And so during these seasons of silent nights, just do what you would do if you're absolutely confident God was with you. That perspective will bring you hope, and hope is a game-changing reality. And moreover, for most of us, a day will come when that silence is broken. And if we've chosen to hope, we may actually exit that season of silence, a better version of ourselves than we entered it. We're stronger, we're more resilient, and we have a more compelling faith. So if this morning you find yourself in a season of silence, let me encourage you, stay present. Don't pull away from people who love you. Stay present. Stay connected. Keep praying. Stay engaged. And yet stay hopeful. Finally, never confuse God's silence with his absence. Because the day may very well come when you see the silence broken, and in that moment, you likely will be left speechless. We're going to close with a song uh, today, and so I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I love this song. It's, it's, it's a Christmassy song, but it's a good Christmassy song. Um, it's called Light of the World. 
And the opening lyrics just are so compelling to me, especially when we think about our conversation today. The lyrics go like this. The world waits for a miracle. The heart longs for a little bit of hope. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And that day 2,000 years ago when the angel said to Joseph, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has not given up. Not only on, on the people of Israel, but on the world and on you. And in a moment where the longing, the, the, the darkness almost seems suffocating, those are the moments when the light shines through. So let's listen to this song together and then I'll close us in prayer.